0: If you're a regular listener to the show and you um, normally with Lester Kivitz uh, during the course of the week, you normally know that this particular slot is reserved for social activist Lisa Son. Uh, Lisa is uh, unavailable today, but she has referred our very next guest to us and uh, we we chat about this in our opinion piece um, every Wednesday, as we know, the entire world is undergoing an examination of racism and more importantly uh, systemic. And institutionalized racism thanks to a um, massive Black Lives Matter movement initiated in the United States. Uh, one of the issues that this movement has shone a light on in South Africa uh, is the racist systems that um, occur in Model C and private schools. Uh, they've been many, many calls, uh, you know, for elite schools across the country to reform their policies that directly or indirectly discriminate against certain students. And uh, this has inspired a lot of people to speak up uh, on their own experiences and tell their own stories and give us their narratives. And this month, an Instagram account called Uh, You Silence, We Amplify was created and uh, it's a platform where students of elite schools, past or present uh, students, can share acts of racism they experience as students of color. One such person is Daniil Gilbert, a person of color who attended an elite all-girls school and she joins us now to share her personal experience uh, as to what she thinks of this particular move. And Daniil, a very good evening to you and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, good evening, Zane, and uh, good evening to the listeners as well.
0: How deep in your experience does um, systemic racism go in elite schools?
1: I think it, it's really, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, its It runs really deep because it's the foundation of which on which those schools were built. Um, many of the schools are almost more than 100 years old, so you can imagine the the colonialist past that many of them have and and what they were built on. Um the founding fathers and mothers and 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 the people who, who established those schools came from a European background, many of them, and, and so the school was built with all of those with all of those ideals and principles very deeply entrenched in them. And so many of those are the ideals that we still hold very dear, but um, there are some problematic aspects of it that you know they don't allow um, freedom to be who we are. And so many people of color, many students of color, they, they walk into a school that already tells them they need to w- walk a certain way, talk a certain way, behave a certain way. And um, that might not necessarily be the homes that they've come from. So you, you're kind of torn between two.
0: Often, mm. and 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 it's very subtle things that 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 people say to you at these schools, like, um, "Wow, you've got nice hair," yes, and, absolutely, and, <laughs> and, and 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 when did you straighten your hair, or or stuff like, for instance, "Oh, you must have been adopted because that's why you speak so well." <laughs> I
1: have many, many um, recollections of of such comments. Mm. Um, I remember swimming days were my worst. I hated them with a passion. (laughs) I went to school with straight hair and I came home with frizzy hair and the girls in my class couldn't understand what happened. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Is that still your real hair? Good heavens.
0: How how did you feel when you saw people speaking up about their own experiences dealing with racism at elite schools?
1: Relieved, honestly, because for the first time, you realize that you're not alone. It wasn't just you. You weren't imagining it. You weren't you weren't exaggerating those memories. They were not they were not made up in your mind. You know, it's it's a relief to know that there were other people who ex- experienced it, and it's a bittersweet thing because yes, you're not alone. But ah, oh, that sucks that everybody else is experiencing that too. It should have been better by now. You know, mm. twenty five years later we should have seen an improvement. There there hasn't been all that much. And many schools, like the one I attended, I know for a fact that there, there is work being done to, you know, to address those issues, but it's a long, long road, and there's so much to be done.
0: Mm-hmm. Chatting this evening to Danielle Gilbert, and she's chatting to us about her experience of being a pupil of color in a private school. If you have, have any um, concerns about this and if you've experienced this we'd love to hear from you 21 or on the the whatsapp line on 0725671567 now we've learned that a lot of policies um, actively sort of discriminates against certain people and the most notable is the policy of hair and did you experience any issues surrounding this um, you know or, or any other regulation that you thought was unfair because like you said these schools were established hundreds of years ago, and when they were established, there were certain colonial traditions and other traditions that were established at the schools. And I just think the schools haven't gone back to revisit um, those traditions and 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 see whether those rules and regulations in the in the in, in the code of conduct are still applicable.
1: Well, I know our code of conduct has been reviewed um, since a couple of years ago, um, but I can't say that I've experienced anything regarding hair or uniform or any, anything like that. Um, for me, I think many of my struggles were mostly social. Um, coming from the Cape Flats and having to integrate into a southern suburbs, predominantly white school, was difficult. Um, it was it was never about following rules or protocols or the code of conduct for me. It was, it was trying to adapt and assimilate and, and trying to balance out two completely different worlds. Um, I, as I started at at the school as a, as a five-year-old, so walking into a school where nobody looked like me and none of the teachers looked like me and suddenly my name was pronounced differently. I didn't know whether I was coming or going all the time. Um, so I had to make, I had to make, um, a survival choice, so to speak. Um, it was very compartmentalised in my life. So I had school life. This is the way I speak, behave, and and do everything at school. And then I'm a, well, not a completely different person, but I had to behave a certain way and speak differently at home. Otherwise, among my peers at home, I was too white, or you yeah. know, you keeping you apathy or whatever. There was a lot of a lot of those negative connotations trying to socialise. In a Mitchell's Plain kind of environment, and then having to cross over into a Weinberg environment, southern suburbs was was difficult. Um, you know, trying to to manage who comes to your birthday party. Will they come? Do they even know where Mitchell's Plain is? Yeah. You know, those those were more of the struggles, and and it's not things that that structurally teachers could do anything about. It became it was it was so deeply entrenched that, that you weren't aware. Um, I don't think staff members were aware at the time, but that was a result of your ratio um, of of students of colour.
0: And and the thing is actually, you know... um it's uh, w- when you, when, when you're an educator and when you're a student and you go to a school, you sort of hope for the best and you don't want to be when you, you know, when you go to the school, you go to the school and you are discriminated at, at school level. And then you come back again home into Mitchell's Plain and then the community says to, Oh, Joe, I feel Sturvy you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is always the case. Do you think that, that, that the school and the educators and the peers were aware of, you know, this? system of discrimination that existed and did they do anything about it
1: no i don't i think um in many southern suburbs schools they live in this sort of cotton wooled environment where you know you you live just in in within those parameters and and beyond i mean many conversations i've had people didn't even know where the K Flats was until i got to high school they were like where, where do you live even it's so far wow you travel um, it was yeah. like it was like a completely foreign concept and so I don't think um they even needed to everything was at their fingertips and so they were never required to stretch beyond those boundaries those in those those comfort zones they never needed to so why would they um and Mm. Yeah so I don't I don't think that they were aware or that they they knew what to do with that information even if they were.
0: Yeah. Chatting to Daniel Gilbert this evening and um chatting in our opinion piece about my experience being a pupil of color in a in a private girls school. Um did you sort of expect people to To understand that, you know, you came from Mitchell's Plain or you came from a particular area and these were your challenges, did you speak up about your challenges? Did you say, this is what I, excuse me, ma'am, I'm late this morning because the taxi took uh, a while or the bus took a while. And did you feel that, you know, when you explained to the teacher that this was the case because you're using public transport and you're dependent on that and you can't come to school on time every day, did you find that the teachers or the educators were understanding of that?
1: Um, I think for myself, I've, I never experienced that. My parents would break their backs, bend over backwards to make sure that I was there on time, to make sure that I attended whatever extramurals and make sure I attended any you know, commitments that I had beyond my school hours. So I never had that struggle, but I know many other classmates did. And, um there were certain people who were more accommodating than others, particularly in high school. There were teachers that are more accommodating than others. Um, I can't pinpoint any specific examples uh, because, like I said, I never experienced it myself. But I'm aware that there were others who, who, you know, really, really struggled with those kinds of things, particularly students that traveled to public transport. And not everybody was as understanding as they could have
0: been. Yeah. Uh, two WhatsApp messages that have just come in, in terms of uh, what we're chatting about, and it says here, yeah, these schools' dominant cultures are still white. Uh, the only way to break down this dominant white culture is to break down the colonial education system in its entirety. And I actually thought that, you know what, with COVID-19 and the lockdown and everything, that we would use this opportunity to look at our education system and and regenerate and reinvent our education system because we, we need to face it that we can't actually just continue like this. And the second WhatsApp says, why just students? I believe it starts with the leader and the management of the school. All teachers who are all change agents um, should be advocating change in these Model C schools. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely.
0: Um
1: I'm in a um currently I'm involved in in the transformation team at the school that I that I attended. Um so I'm a past people and currently teaching there. And um we are addressing those issues but it it is a multifaceted and multi-layered approach because it it has to come from your board, your your management, your all staff not just teaching staff because every adult that is in front of a child you are representing something whether you are aware of it or not and so i take great pride when i stand in front of my classroom because i'm one of the very few teachers of color that the, those children have and so when i see children of color in my classroom i see myself in them and i and i i am so acutely aware of what i need to be for them because i never had that as a child all my teachers were white um even my Isik Fosa teacher and fantastic and and amazing teachers they were indeed, but I never saw someone like me. And so that also told me that white people hold all the knowledge and that someone that looks like me can't stand in front of the classroom. And I didn't, I didn't want to believe that. And so when I got to high school, I was adamant that I was going to be a teacher and I was going to change the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know?
1: And I was like, look, if, if, if I can stand in front of a class and I can give some sort of inspiration and hope to another child that looks like me, that they can do anything that they really want to do and that they are capable of it, um, then that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to do mm. the best that I can. And now that I have a daughter of my own also, I feel an obligation to do that because I I can't, in good conscience, send my child to the school where I know that she's going to be the odd one out, and she's going to have to defend who no. she is, how she speaks, where she comes from. She and, shouldn't have to.
0: And and the thing is actually is that you know what I I was a teacher in Manenberg but we taught in the apartheid years. I probably left teaching in, in in 1990 somewhere around there so we we never had these challenges we we only had basically sort of the the, the cultural cultural differences of, of children and and these days it is difficult and i actually feel for teachers out there because it is very very difficult it's not only um the color problems that we are sitting with it's also the cultural differences because now you have a school it's a model c school it's a private school i feel i can send my child there i can afford to send my child there I want the best education, and I always say these days: if you want a good education for your child, you need to buy it. Unfortunately, yeah. and the thing is actually is that now you're sitting with Zimbabwean children, you've got Nigerian children, you've got you've got Chinese children, you've got um, you know um, children from Vietnam, and and all these cultures mix in one particular class. So, what are the changes that you would like to see happen at a school?
1: More cultures represented in the classroom. There shouldn't be a predominant culture. In in my mind there shouldn't there shouldn't be. Because South Africa, if you look at our complete demographic as a country, we have the most one of the most diverse populations. Mm. It it can't be that one one culture is so dominant in in a school which is supposed to be a microcosm of society. Our society does not look like that. Yes. So it it can't be that imbalanced. And okay. the more cultures that are represented in the classroom, the more well-rounded the children are going to be, the more accepting they're going to be, the more tolerant, the more understanding they're going to be. And the more they'll be able to adapt in the wider world. We are setting them up for failure if we're going to keep them in a little cotton ball bubble and then expect them when they hit 18, welcome to the world. Yeah. Good luck. You know, it's not. It doesn't work like that. Mm. We have to prepare them. And you can't only start preparing them when they hit high school or you know what I mean it it, it doesn't make sense
0: yeah there is a there's a very stark reality um that we need to face and the sooner the better we face this reality. Uh, the Instagram account, which is called You Silence We Amplify, was created, and it's a platform where students on elite schools, past to present, uh, can actually share their their stories uh, and share their narratives on on this particular platform. which uh, are chatting to Danielle Gilbert uh, this this evening, and she's telling about her experience of being a pupil of colour in a private girls' school. Uh, what are the your What are the hopes for this particular movement?
1: I think the hope is for change, and it's fantastic that past pupils are getting involved because that was always the the missing link, I think. Um, I've been speaking to past pupils from my school that I haven't seen since I was at school, and they were in different years than, than I was, so we matriculated at different points. I haven't spoken to them. I mean, some of them I didn't even speak to when we were on the same campus together, but we we sharing the same the same passion the same hopes the same dreams and the same pains, and so it's been really therapeutic and and healing actually to share those experiences because like I said it wasn't just you weren't just imagining it, and so having their their input and now they've been out in the world for 10, 20 years and they've got experiences out there they they professionals in certain fields and so we've got that extra resource to you know, to to assist in in the transformation of of the the present you know, present situation Mm. and so we we're building a better future for for the goals that are
0: I talk to come. Mm. Chatting this evening to Daniil Gilbert, and if you have any experiences and if you have any thoughts about this, give us a call on 0214460567 or on the WhatsApp line, uh, send us a WhatsApp text message, or you can send us a voice note to zero seven two five six seven one five six seven. There's always this case, Daniil, where you know, um, when you sit in conversations, and 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 and, and I feel basically that. If you are sitting in a conversation and people say something, whether it be gender-based violent stuff or whether it actually be in terms of, um, you know, uh, uh, things that that really are hurtful in that conversation, that's where you you stand up and that's where you make your mark. And you say, no, Mm -hmm. excuse me, you don't say that. It's wrong to say that. So what do we do with people who says, ah, man, you know, you people of color, you should just get over it.
1: I think that's one of the hardest things to listen to. Um, You you don't just get over generational trauma. It's not something that just, you know, you can wake up and it's gone. Um, That's exactly what this is. It's generational trauma. It's it's those things that our parents taught us because of the life that they lived. Um, I remember growing up with my father telling us stories about being in the riots and missing a whole year of school because of activism. And, Uh, being scared to attend school, schools were closed, or where your grandparents told you stories about being kicked out of their homes. um, Those are things that you carry, and you don't just get over it, because your reality is based on your past. And if you don't know where you come from, you can't do better. And so I think people who say that need to understand what their past is. We're not saying that you had slaves or that you are holding the old South African flag up in your home. We're not saying that. We're saying that you need to own what your your people did, what your culture did, and what that privilege gives you. You need to own that, and you need to acknowledge that, but you also can't deny me my past and my present. You can't tell me what my experience is, and you can't tell me how to mourn it.
0: Chatting to Daniel Gilbert, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been an amazing chat, and it's been an eye-opener for a number of people out there, hopefully. And um I, I had a chat some time ago when I was also doing the show. We had a-, a motivational speaker come in, and she came in with a particular gentleman who was very into the sort of exercise world and, and very fitness world and stuff like that. And he was also a, a-, a motivational speaker at the time. And you know what He's bit, But he grew up in Perth. I'll give you this example, Um, and he could never understand exactly what his South African parents felt and what they were going through. So eventually he came at the age of, I think, 25, 26. His parents, his father brought him to to Cape Town, and his father took him all around and said, you see this beach? We couldn't go there. You see that Mm. place? We couldn't go there. You see this building was a post office. It was divided into two. We had to go around the back or we had Mm -hmm. to go separately. You see the bus? Um, when when grandma used to get into the bus with her shopping, she had to go and sit upstairs. And this is the things yeah. that, and he said, once he realized exactly what his father was talking about, and once his father explained and showed him everything, uh, then he realized exactly what his father's anger was about, and that his father's yeah. anger was not with him, and that it was That's actually about something else. Daniil, thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks.